Hello and welcome to a special episode of Saladcast with Brian Caldwell from Shrewsbury Town. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Rolly. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. So this podcast is going to be a bit different. There's no Glyn um, and we're here to talk about transfers. So I'm really thankful for Brian to give me the opportunity to interview and ask some questions and kind of ask those questions that the, the fans always kind of want to know. And obviously it's been a very hectic transfer window, let's say, in yeah, the last month. No, it's been a busy time, busy month as they always tend to be. But although I think we've done, was it 10 in and 12 out in the, in the course of 31 days. So it's been a busy, a busy January window. Brilliant. So, just for kind of start a question. So, how did you get into football? How did you become a like, get into into the football world? Um, I started off. I was working for a, a a civil engineer building contractor in the air back in Scotland, and the the company actually bought the local football club, which was Air United, and I was working in finance at the time. Um, I was 24, 25, and the chairman of the the company who had bought the football club as well said to me, I want you to go down to Air United and I want you to run it as if it's your own business. Just learn everything from the bottom up. Um, we'll pay, still continue to pay you, but just I want you to learn the full football business. Um, so I ended up there, been there for 10 years from the first six months and I've never really looked back since, unfortunately, unfortunately. So before then, were you a big football fan? Yeah, I was an air season ticket holder, air supporter. So going in there at 24, 25, Which suddenly a dream dealing, job. Well, working with the players and, and dealing with the players who you know I'd idolised through, through that time as well. And and suddenly you were doing their wages and telling them they were actually getting paid far too much <laughs> rather than cheering them on from the terrace. But no, I used to go every week um, to air, you know, a big supporter. Um, unfortunately it didn't end well for me because I was getting married on the Sunday and they made me redundant on the, on the yeah. Thursday before it so um, there's still a little bit of bitterness there towards the air but hey ho that, as, as time goes on you become slightly less bitter but that was always the team I supported right the way through my childhood ah, cool that's brilliant cool so then you went from uh... I was at St Mirren uh, for eight and a half years um, obviously St Mirren had just gone into the Scottish Premiership and they didn't have somebody to run it so I went in there initially as a general manager and then they made me chief exec um, they knew of me from my time at Air. Uh, knew I was experienced and obviously built up the, the 10 years at Air. Um, so they um, employed me there and um, hopefully did a reasonable job there and obviously got the opportunity from there to, to come to Shrewsbury and I, I could see the there were massive benefits and massive potential in the football club um, and I looked at the area and you know back at St Mirren you're right in the doorstep of Rangers and Celtic most people in Scotland either support one or the other uh, a lot of it's through religion and a lot of it's just through their family etc as well no matter where you come from um, so it was really hard to try and progress the fan base but you know coming to Shrewsbury and seeing the size of Shropshire and seeing that the nearest football team's 30 odd miles away um, was a, a, an opportunity for me and I think also looking at what we had and the finances were really good I looked at that as well before I came and obviously with the new stadium at the time and the club were really trying to progress and I thought there's a, there's a great opportunity to try and move the club along. Cool, fantastic. So in a in a nutshell, how would you describe your job at Shrewsbury? You seem, you seem to cover all bases. I think you've got to be, I, I call it cross-functional <laughs> and I think having worked at Air and St Mirren where you've got less staff, you know, where, hopefully where I can always help is that um, I can, I've probably done most people's job over my times at the two clubs previously. 
So hopefully that helps the staff as well because I've got an understanding of what everybody's role is, whether that's in finance or whether that's, you know, commercial, you know, the full media as well, you know, that the previous clubs had to do the media work as well. So it was kind of a bit different. And whereas now we've obviously got, you know, more staff here um, that hopefully my experience can help them at the same time improve their jobs cool so obviously there's a as a, a role that's kind of grown um very was obviously very popular in continental europe and has grown in in the uk in, in more recent times would you say you're kind of have a, that bit of that kind of director of football role as well um i think the director of football is always a slightly different i think the director of football tends to deal purely on football whereas you know in my role it's more about the business as well as the football um and i think you know some clubs have both um for me I think because I've grown up doing both, if you like, you know, having to deal with the football side of it. You know, my role is not to pick players. My role is not to um, recruit players. It's basically just to try and do deals for the best best finance for that we can possibly do and help support the manager in any way we possibly can. Yeah. Um, a lot of directors of footballs tend to get involved with recruitment as well, yeah. so which I wouldn't necessarily so get that's involved. Firmly with, with the manager. Firmly with the manager, yeah. Okay, cool. And that, that's one of those good those one of those questions. <clears throat> and that's the purpose of this podcast really is just to kind of cover those kind of areas and give fans a bit of an insight into how it works um, at Shrewsbury Town. So that's brilliant. So last year we were so, so close. Um, and obviously one of the interesting things when you chat to fans of Premier League teams and I chat to people at work is sometimes they don't quite understand the churn and the turnover at our level. You know, the fact that we've only got a couple of players in the team this year than was last year. So as a as a club, what's our what's the club's kind of strategy and how do you think we can get into the championship? Well, I think we showed last year that on the budget, that the difficulty we've always got is budget and the more money you spend on players and the more bigger the wages, strictly speaking, you should have a better team. However, last year we proved that with probably one of the lower budgets in the league that we can compete with all the other teams in the league. So it's not necessarily about getting the best players and paying the most money. Um, and last year was obviously testament to that. I think it's really important if you get your recruitment right. And we've restructured that slightly in the last few years. Um, the chairman and I actually had a conversation when Mickey was a manager even prior to me coming here, it was the month before, we, the chairman and I had a conversation one Sunday when I was still working at St Mirren about our views on recruitment and that, you know, both of us shared the same, that we need to get recruitment right. And at the time we spoke to Mickey and said, well, what can we do to help you get recruitment right? And his view was to bring Adam Henshaw, who was working one day a week for, for Mickey doing some recruitment analysis stuff. If, he, if we could get him full-time purely to head up the, uh, the recruitment side to do all the groundwork for Mickey, to give him the choices and see who was available, etc., then that would be a step in the right direction. So from that, Adam obviously has, has come into post uh, with Mickey and obviously worked closely with Paul after that and now works closely with, I worked closely with John and then... Um, and now Sam as well. So it's, I mean, basically Adam's role is, is to make sure that all the scouting network, we've got about 10 scouts who are strategically placed around the country, who will do match reports, who will do with its opposition teams, but also cover reports on players, look at games as much as they possibly can. And Adam basically then looks through all those reports and picks off from the reports and then takes that to the manager, and the manager then can look at footage or go and watch players himself. And it's then just trying to streamline that down to, to get what we need in recruitment. And I think when you look at last year, and yeah, we're unfortunate to lose some of the players we did in the close season, 
But you look at the business we did, it's very difficult. Like, so if you could take John Nolan in total and look at the money we spent getting them here and then what we did selling them again, you know, within a year, a year and a half in Toto's case, I mean, for us, that's good business to try and then reinvest some of that and, and move forward and show long-term that Shrewsbury Town is a good club to come and, you know, we all appreciate that players want to play at the highest level they possibly can. And that's where it was difficult with, with John and Toto because they, they, they knew that the Ipswich opportunity was there. They, they knew they could earn far more money going there and playing in the Championship. But they were only going at the right price for us as well um, because obviously they were two big players for us that um, were very much part of our squad and were happy to sign long-term contracts the year before, um, taking them from Hartlepool and Chesterfield. But that, therefore that shows that the recruitment can work. Um, if we can turn over players that we can bring into the club and, and move on. I mean, ideally, you always want to keep your best players in the fortunate position we're in financially as well. We don't necessarily ever need to sell the players. And when you then negotiate with another club who are trying to purchase one of your players, it, it's, a, it's a good point to then say, well, actually, I don't need your money. So unless you're offering me top dollar, then it's not really worth us selling it. But then you've got the... The moral side of that is the yeah. players are then losing out and potentially earning a lot more money and playing at a higher level. So it's it's a bit of a, a difficult scenario that you've got. It is a balance. You're right. It's trying to get that balance right. Almost, <clears throat> place sounds a bit harsh, but yeah, to appreciate where we are and you know, yeah, which are a, a larger team yeah. historically. It's, that's where it becomes difficult if somebody comes in and offers money. I mean, even you know, we got it's been well documented. There was a um, a conversation that we had from Sunderland and the the night of the transfer window but like for the money that they were talking about you know we were in a strong position that, you know we're not a club that needs the money no. uh, we're financially sound um, and that's that's great for us to be able to say look we don't need your money um, we want to hang on to our players we want to try and get the best out of their players and continue um, for them to play well and progress and hopefully they go to even higher level than that yeah no and that's what we're saying I think the fans are proud of that we'll have seen Know how um, Connor Goldson's getting on, Ryan Woods. I think the fans have a bit of an affiliation to those players, and if they leave in the right way, they're normally normally well respected, and the fans love to see them doing well, which is great. Well, I think that's the way all players should be. At the end of the day, you, you want players to come in who are ambitious. You want managers to come in who are ambitious, because if they are ambitious, they'll hopefully be successful for yeah. us. And if they do, then just get an opportunity at a higher level. Then yeah, we will always work with them to try and do that. Because it then helps us at the at the next level to bring somebody in and say, for example, we took Total from Hartlepool for a nominal amount of money, and we sold them for good money. But they gave them that opportunity. So yeah. Shrewsbury is a place you can come and play and progress your career. No, no, that's that's, that's really interesting. In terms of um, like preparation, then, so Ad, it sounds like Adam's quite key in terms of the the, the strategy and preparation yeah. for <clears> transfers. Is so is Adam's basically a working constantly irrelevant at the window or is he yeah, start does he change for well, the window no he'll he'll be working now on the summer window um, basically he'll probably look in all positions if I'm honest because we're always aware of just to look at the market but the way it works is for example looking towards the January window Sam might have said you know these are the key positions we want to strengthen in the January window give me options and Adam will then come up with for example 10 options left back you know have a rough idea of what money it would take to get them here because um, Adam also have he'll do he's a good cop and I'm bad cop when it comes to agents um, but he'll kind of work out you know what options are there Sam might then look at the 10 left backs it's put in 
in front of him saying no, none of them are any good. That's Not good enough for me. So, uh, so I thought Adam would have been someone who's almost in a closed room looking at videos. So he's actually he talks to agents. Yeah, he gets he's very much connected to the football world no, as well. Adam's very he's got a really good relationship with the agents, and it helps me a lot as well because he's almost like the middleman. So if Sam then decides he wants to progress with one of these players, um, Adam will do a bit of groundwork, shall we say, um, to get an idea of where, where we're at with yeah. you know finances, and then I'll then knock them down. And Adam can be <laughs> so the... So you do a bit of extreme positioning. Yeah, well, he, as I say, he's good cop and bad cop. Yeah. Um, and Adam can try and... We can, he's, a, he's a good middleman, but he's got a really good relationship with the agents. Listen, there are a lot of agents out there. A lot of them got a really bad name, but to be honest with you, the majority of them are are sensible, they understand. Yeah, there'll be some you'll fall out with, um, but they always want to keep you on side at the end of the day, so they try not to burn bridges for the future because they're always looking where their, uh, their next agents feel come from. Cool, so in terms of roles, then we talked about Adam and Adam's, yeah, what's his role? What's his official title? His title is recruitment and analysis. Okay. So he does, so basically he'll, he'll organise the scouts to go to games. Yeah. It could be names of ones that we particularly want to watch it could be the next three opposition teams yeah. and he'll switch them around to wherever they are based on the scouts that are all over the country you know there'll be names coming all the time um for positions agents will be contacting us now saying what you're looking for in the summer um so he'll then start and look and position scouts to do scout reports from now until the summer but he'll already have a load of them from the last you know, since the start of the season, and it's then trying to analyse them. Sam will be aware of what's going on, and Sam and Adam work really closely together so that Sam could obviously end the day, it's Sam's final say on, on yeah. every player. If it comes to the football club, neither myself or Adam get involved in that. Adam will put suggestions to him, we'll do reports on each player, um, a full statistical analysis on them, some video footage as well, potentially, and then Sam will then go away and uh, look at Y Scout or go and watch the player himself. Um, but they, you know they're usually quite well. Um, there's quite a lot of analysis goes into yeah. targeting players in the first place, and it's that's for me it's really important. With every player you sign, there's a risk, um, and it's always trying to minimise the risk as much as you possibly can. You know, when you look back to Paul's time as a manager, you know he took, brought Toto, who he'd worked with before, and he brought John Nolan as I've used an example of two players that he knew before, he knew that we'd bring, which minimised the risk. And it's a bit like Sam, and I know there's been some criticism of that, like, oh, he's bringing his pals and things like that, but... I think, I know, think personally for myself, in a January transfer window, it minimises the risk. It does. Yeah. I think January is always a really awkward yeah. month because it's um, it's a seller's market, can we say, and not everybody wants to give that up. No. So it's very, very difficult to try and get the right ones in. And, and you can if you're going to sign players who are on the peripheral yeah. or from lower league and you have to pay good money yeah. for them. Or, and it's difficult. You've got to use the loan market well. We used the loan market really well last season. You know, Dean, Ben Godfrey's examples, Carton Morris as well, were all players who played every week. And it's really important for us to continue that. But that helps our reputation going forward because we've now got a really good relationship with Norwich who really appreciate what we've done for, you know, like Ben Godfrey's playing ben every Godfrey's week. for amazing. Playing, moment, for, yeah. playing for Norwich. And obviously Carlton's been unfortunate with his injury, but he's he had a recent setback as well. But they can appreciate that we look after them. We'll do everything we possibly can to, and we've got a good setup here between the stadium and the training ground. Uh, Norwich come out regularly over last season to check in progress. We send all their their stats, all their GPS stuff goes over to them as well, and they're very very focused on ensuring that the players are well looked after and well cared for. But that enhances our reputation going forward with other clubs as well. And if you take Greg as an example this year from Rangers, who are 
delighted with the progress he's made because he's playing every week, yeah. which is what they wanted to do. They want a club to come. They want players to come here and develop. And do you know what? You know, it's. I spoke to Greg Doherty's dad recently, who I spoke to in the summer to explain about what Shrewsbury was like, you know, as a town, as an area, um, and about the football club. And he actually he said to me recently, I thought you were, you know, you were giving me the hard sell about the area. He said, but, I, we, you know, we can't believe how nice this is. It's a great place for Greg to move his first his first move away from home. Um, it's a beautiful town, a beautiful area, and we just love coming down here. The facilities and everything you've got are fantastic, and it's a great place for players to develop. And the more we can do that and be successful with the loan market to tap into that, then to guarantee players games or to get players games and hopefully it helps us long long term as well because we can show other clubs examples of your Ben Godfrey's, you know, your Carlton Morris, your Dean Henderson's at Man United. And even dealing with Man United recently, they were shall I say helpful towards Roshan coming here because they kind of appreciated what happened with Dino yeah. coming here and how we developed and how we helped him and how we looked after him. Um, you know, from where he's gone from here, obviously, and doing so well in the championship. It's great for them because he's he's done that. He's done his development here. Dino's very appreciative of everything we did for him. And then he's gone on to, to obviously, you know, sign a new contract with yeah. Man United and earning a lot more money than he was before and, and obviously doing well generally with, with Sheffield United too. Yeah. On loans, do, do clubs normally try to dictate that they have to play? Um Sometimes they try and put penalty clauses in. Um, I'm not very keen on that at no. all, if I'm honest with you. I don't f ever feel... The problem is when you're signing a loan player, it tends to be one who's a younger one. And there's a, an element of risk there, how much they're going to play. So I'm not keen on, on penalty clauses. And I give that reason, quite honestly, that sometimes a young player needs to be kept out for some of the games. The, the lad who was at Swansea, what was his name now, James? Dan James, Dan yeah. James, um, he didn't make it here. No. And apparently he was a terrible, I heard a really good story about him, he was a terrible trainer. Swansea right. had no players left, they put him in the team and they realised he's, he's a good player yeah. on the pitch but can't train. Yeah. It's quite a funny one. It's interesting. But uh, it's, it's um, the loan market is one, you're trying to just do the best you can. Um, most clubs are reasonable because they understand we are, we'll always keep our, you know, wage parameters around the same to keep the dressing room the same as well. But sometimes if, if you can, you know, sometimes a player needs taken out for a couple of games. Ben Godfrey was taken out a few times last year. If you look back at the yeah. stats, I'm sure a number of games he was a substitute. But that was for his own development. And if there's a penalty clause in there which stops a manager or potentially, you should never think financially. And, you know, we have this discussion quite often in here that, and that's what I always say to other clubs when I'm trying to negotiate loan deals. Like I don't really want penalty clauses in because at the end of the day it might actually be for the player's best development yeah. that he stays in and I don't ever want the manager to think financially that he needs to play somebody. Um, it's not from right a, for the player either if he knows. It's not, right for, it's not right for anybody that anybody's playing just purely because there's a, there's a financial element. Yeah. That shouldn't come into it. The most important thing as well is trying to get these loan players playing as much as possible. You'll never get them all right um, but if you can get majority of your five right, then it helps everybody. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. So we're talking about Adam, we're talking about Sam. Um, so it sounds like everyone kind of chips in in terms of identifying players. Um, so in terms of like the process then, so in terms of like starting the process, so Adam identifies a player, Sam thinks he's, he's a player that he wants to, he's interested in. Yeah. How does that kind of, that process kind of start in terms of, Let's say it's a player on, let's say, I don't know, it's the summer and the lad's still on contract and he's got a couple <clears> of years left. How does the process start? Um, 
basically I would need to contact the club all the communications to be honest with you Adam quite often will speak to other heads of recruitment at other clubs depending on the size of the club if they've got a head of recruitment he'll have an initial conversation and then it would come through me I would make the first approach officially to my opposite number at the other club um, you know if it was somebody was in contract to see if there was you know what finances they're looking for whether it's a purchase or whether it's a loan or whatever it might be Um and then we start a communication or I'll, I'll just contact the club and by phone and yeah. have a conversation. Because um, the funny question then, so I don't know, you're contacting a club you've never spoken to ever before. How would you contact the club? Um, I would contact our chief exec. Which, who would, oh, like, you, there's details shared yeah, by the EFL? Yeah, there's an EFL oh, okay. website which we've all got logins for, which you can usually find out details or... You know, you can always get people's number because yeah. I'm sure everybody seems to get my number easily your enough. phone's going off all constantly <laughs> as we're doing this, yeah. which is quite funny. No, the, well, I know in the transfer window's closed as well. Uh, yeah. uh, no, no, the phone just never stops. But, you know, everybody can get your number and it's amazing. Like, I always, sometimes I'll be like, how the earth did they get my number? You know, whether it's an agent or whatever, but everybody seems to, to get each other's numbers. That's okay. It's quite easy to get other people's numbers. And it's just, sometimes it's just getting the right person's number that you need yeah. to speak to. Or sometimes it's even just an initial email. You know, if you, you can always get access to people's email address or through the online system, uh, to say an initial and just say, like, here's my mobile number, I'd like to have a discussion with you over X player. So how, so um, as a buyer myself who does negotiations, how do you normally start your negotiations? Because obviously you don't, you don't very rarely see these guys face-to-face, I'd imagine. Um, well, you do some of them. Well, I mean, in terms of actually doing negotiation to buy a player. To buy a player. Is it on the phone or an email or um, text message? Well, usually I would have an initial conversation, if I'm honest, but then I would have a chat on the phone and then I would say, look, I would probably put something in writing because I always think it's easier for a club to actually take stock of what's been offered in the first place. Yeah. It gives them time to actually, they've got a, one, they've got it formally in writing, what you're offering. And then secondly, two minutes later, they'll phone you back and say, that's a disgrace, what you've just yeah. offered. You know, the usual poker game. Um, but listen, it just starts a communication going at that point. Um, it is very much a game of poker. Yeah. Quite a lot of time. And a lot of these things take a lot of time. You know, I look back to Omar last year when he was coming in from Mackington at the time. And there were emails and offers going back and forward and back and forward and back and forward. And they just didn't really want to sell them for one and they didn't want to sell them at that time so it was one of these ones that some of these times it can drag on that you're trying to chase and chase and chase and chase and you're spending so much time on the phone just to do one deal and eventually when you get over the line it's almost like a relief because you've spent so much time on it and you know that's happened even during the window there there's been a number of players that we identified who at the last minute somebody for example somebody else comes in or somebody gets injured um, and then they can't go out and loan, or whether it's a player you're trying to get and you're trying to sign, and then they ca- they can't come in because somebody else pips you and, and yeah. gazumps you for money, which is difficult to take when you've spent two or three weeks trying to get this over the line, and then something and you've agreed everything, and then suddenly it's boom, somebody else comes in. I'm sorry, but you've you need to go to your plan B. So, and that's where Sam always has a you know an, a list of ones that potentially could get, and through the window, he's probably up here two or three times a week going through his lists of each position that he's looking for, saying, right, there's my plan A, there's my plan B, there's my plan C, and then this one might become available, but I don't know. Tyrese is one as an example that um, when we played Stoke in the replay, he had a chairman and I prime to speak to their chief exec and their chairman about getting Tyrese on loan. Um, 
and he was down the stairs trying to noble the manager and their head of recruitment to say, look, can we get him on loan? And then obviously he went and scored two goals against yeah. us. And <laughs> uh, even, to be fair, even at the initial conversation when we first speak the sport, he's look, he's playing against you tonight. I don't think we'll be putting him out on loan. Um, but like, it's nice when that came off yeah. on on deadline night, the last minute they decided that in the last 24 hours, maybe the best thing for him was to go out and play somewhere. So that was one that we'd kind of thought, well, it's, you know, at the beginning we tried, pushed, 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 didn't get anywhere and then eventually come off at the last minute because things in football can change. And change very quickly. So, so, so it's typically yourself who puts bids in and all yeah. that, does that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, once it comes to the, I mean, obviously it gets to the stage that Sam and, well, Adam's put stuff to Sam. Sam's then said, right, I want to I want to try and get him if I can. Then what can we do? And then basically we have a three-way conversation. We've got a group text going between the three of us that will be a lot of text messages usually until late at night, quite often and then first thing in the morning about where we're at and just summaries all the time of where we're at, what do I need to do, what, what's my partner, do I need to approach anybody at this time? Yeah. Um, and basically they do the groundwork and Sam obviously approves everything and then it comes to me to try and negotiate. Yeah, and so then so then the deal's been accepted and you're able to talk to the player. Yeah. This is when the, the agents get involved. Yeah, when, once we've got agreement with the, with the club, then it's a case of trying to then negotiate with the agent, um, finding out who the, the player's agent is, who the club will obviously, obviously always give you. Because um, the rules are quite strict and we always adhere to it, whereby you can't speak to an agent um, of a player without prior permission of, of the club. So I think, I'll, you know, having had my comments in the summer about the whole thing with the, the managerial situation, I think it's only right that we always adhere to the rules properly. Um, so I would never get involved in anything like that. You know, and then we speak to the agent, find out who the player, the, the club would then say, well, you can, you're now will give you permission to speak to the player and his representative and then at that point then I'll start negotiating with the agent. Cool. Okay. So then so then you're talking to the agent and then you start talking about the figures, all the different differences. Because I imagine there's obviously from playing football manager and everyone's <laughs> seen in the media and all that stuff, there's loads of different things that you end up negotiating on. So yeah. the, I don't That's, think we don't think we have players image rights in League One. No. No, listen, it's the Agents are they they listen creative. They, they're creative, but I'm creative as well, and I don't mind players getting money for things if they're doing well, you know. And it's all about success. If they're bringing success to us and things are going well, you know, scoring goals or whatever it might be, if their value goes up, then you don't mind incentivising it if they're playing a lot of games for us as well. So it's important that we're getting they they've got incentives in there as well. That, but yeah, it's you know, the good thing is. A lot of agents know our wage parameters, they know where we will go to, they know what we're up to, up to, and then it's up to us to try and negotiate and try and get the best deal for the football club that um, meets our requirements. Because I've said this before, but it's really important that we keep the dynamic in the dressing room um, together and so that the player sitting beside them is not in double the money that yeah. the guy sitting Something beside. Something that Paul Hurst used to mention <clears throat> quite a lot about yeah. being better, better wage parity within yeah. the squad. Yeah, well, I think that that was a very much kept everybody together last year and again this year. I think it's really important that you know somebody sitting beside somebody isn't, as I say, isn't earning double their money because um, it isn't fair. Now we appreciate that strikers always tend to earn more money generally than others, um, but you know that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be crazy money. And I think players always exaggerate the money they're on as well because um, we were talking to one player recently who was explaining about a player who's recently left in the last close season 
um, and he, he was of the opinion that this player was earning X, whereas it's actually not true because I spoke to his agent and he wasn't earning that at all. So they always exaggerate what they can get elsewhere as well and they, they add everything else they can possibly get to make them make their package sound better than it actually is. But so Is that one of Adam's things as well? Is he kind of keep a record of kind of like average salaries and salaries and things like that? Yeah, well, he, guide? He, does, he does quite a bit of groundwork on that to try and work out roughly what... I mean, you, you've got a rough idea what some players will earn in this league and it would frighten you. If I'm honest with you, some of the, the the money that's getting bandied about by clubs that you you wouldn't expect to be paying as much as they are, you know. And I had to laugh recently when there was a comment in the newspaper about um, Charlton having a tight budget, and I was thinking I wish I had their budget. I'm sure Sam does as well, <clears throat> but you know, people know what our agents know what what we're levels we're at. Um, and for me, it's always about we want players who are hungry, who want to come here for the right reasons. It shouldn't always be about money. It should be about the opportunity to play football, play regularly, which every player should want to do, is play regularly and have the right platform. I believe here at Shrewsbury, we've got a really good platform because we've got the stadium still in, um, reasonably new. Um, the training ground is a huge seller, huge selling point yeah, for us. I think that's an interesting one, actually, going off on a tangent there about the training ground. Remember I was talking about the training ground um, and some people disagree with me for me the training ground has been as I think for me is a massive massive step forward for football club amazing um, an example of that was when we played Bristol Rovers early in the season here and, and Steph Payne said to me after the game you don't realise like how good the training ground is here you know it's unbelievable in comparison players come here and they have a look at it or they come for a medical for example prior to signing and they're amazed at the facilities we've got for this level for this level you know a lot of people have come to me this is a championship you know, the facility and everything we've got there. But we felt at the time, the chairman and I had a long discussion about like the investment in the training ground. And the investment, was, the investment in the training ground was always a long-term objective. And more and more people, you know, you take Norwich, for example, who were bowled over by the facilities we had, you know, and everything we'd have there, which is great for a club of Norwich's size to come to Shrewsbury and be quite amazed at what facility we've got. And that's a selling point for us, for players to come here. You know, look, you, you know, you're not going different places every day. You know, and it also makes it a bit better too for coming to the stadium because when the players come here, it's game day. Yep. So it's a bit, bit special, whereas before they were coming here training on the back pitch, they were coming here every day of the week. Whereas to come here, they know it's game day as well. But no, it's definitely been a huge uh, positive for us. Not not just for the players, but for, for enticing players as well because we've now got a, the reputation as more and more players have come through that training ground and see the facilities we've got has definitely helped. Um, spread the word because football's you know a small world yeah. and everybody talks and people talk about the facilities and see things and yeah. you know if we've got good facilities here then people might want to come here yeah i compare it to um like an office or you know your working environment if you're working in a nice a nice environment yeah it's going to be um it's going to be a lot better than working in an office that's a bit a bit run down or yeah. don't even have an office and you're working well, that's, exactly well, that's, that's right that's true but like even for the end of the day you've got to remember that these players are coming here you know four mornings a week or four days a week that's that, that is their place of work as you're saying there so it's important that when they come here they're always you know happy at, at the environment they're in and I think um, they do. They really respect what we've what we've achieved, and we're always looking at ways how can we improve that more. What's what's the next step? What can we do more? Um, and I had a discussion with John Pitts, our head of performance, yesterday about like what we can do in the training ground and, and even like the tunnel area and various things here. Just certain things can, because small things can lift lift um, 
with performance, yeah. shall we say. I mean, it's, it sounds crazy, but see, when we changed the home dressing room here, and we spent a bit of money on that, again, it was an upgrade of the dressing room, moving it in the gym. But like, I think we've only lost three home games this season um, in the league, so it's like, well, actually, the dressing room hasn't made a difference. Has it made a difference? Maybe it's, it has made a difference. But it's given everybody a, you know, when they come in and they're going into a better environment, again, it's it's where they're coming to work. Yeah. Interesting, very interesting. Um, moving on, moving, going back to the transfer piece, and, and just one thing that's always has a lot of discussion on, um, on online among fans is trying to sign strikers. And strikers, is it the hardest position to try and sign? And particularly Shrewsbury League One, it's... We haven't had a, a I think um, Okunabiri is one of the few and James Collins quite a few years ago but um, it's it's rare to have a, a Shrewsbury Town striker who scores more than 20 goals in a season. Yeah, it's difficult. The strikers are always the market. The, 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 what's always made it even harder is James Vardy as an example. Jimmy Vardy, sorry, as an example. Like, National League clubs now went top dollar for their strikers and even like getting Fajiri here in the summer we had to spend quite a lot of money which we weren't necessarily expecting. But we felt that was a good investment for us. And we always need to shop in a different supermarket. We talk about this all the time. If there's a League 2 striker who's scoring 20 goals a season, he'll get picked up by a League 1 club who are probably going to spend two or three times the money that we would spend in wages. So I find that sometimes they don't even go to League 1. So two names, I don't know if they're familiar to you. So John McGinley um, went from us and to, yeah. to, to Bury and to Bolton. And then Carl Griffith scored loads of goals. And they went... But I always, I don't know whether it's true and be interested to get your thoughts on this. I get the sense that the Jamie Vardy effect is that players now miss out League yeah. 1 on the League 2. And sometimes even like, like so Ladipo yeah. ends up going straight to the Premier League team. Um, and then you have other players going to championships. Like Stephen Payne went from yeah. Dover to Barnes. Barnes on the championship. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. I think that market, I think everybody's looking at that as well. Um, and that's where it becomes more difficult. You know, we look in Scotland, we look in Ireland. We, you know, we've got scouts all over the place looking at games, looking at footage, looking at everything to try and get different players. And it's it's tapping into contacts as well. Obviously, I've got plenty of contacts in the Scottish game. You know, we've got, I've got contacts in Ireland. Sam's got contacts all over the place as well. And it's just trying to build that um, to scatter it everywhere so that we can look at other options and try and get your gems out there that maybe need a bit of polishing. But when they come here, we'll give them the platform to go and progress and Fijiri is a good example of that we managed to get in there were other clubs interested in Fijiri uh, we put the money up front and said look there you go go and take it if you want it and we did that deal in the beginning of June um, and I think to be fair that's been good value for money he's enjoyed it here you know it's, that's difficult sometimes for a boy who's coming from London um, to move out of London you know and you know had we waited and sometimes it's just the right place at the right time but it is always difficult to try and find these gems out there who are goal scorers because as, as you've said there they might go to the championship or they might go to top end of league one you know you know your Sunderlands of this world and the Charlton's of this world will spend a lot on, on wages as well so it's very difficult then to, for us to compete and try and make sure so it's really important we do we look at all avenues to see if we can get whether it's strikers or whatever position so is it pretty heartbreaking when you're going to sign a striker and then all of a sudden you hear that Sunderland or Blackburn or Wigan are coming knocking around? Yeah, that is. Because at the end of the day, you know, it happened in the summer. You know, there's a couple of players that we ended up, did, you know, we did sign. But, you know, I'm quite friendly with the coaching staff at Sunderland and I would say, are you interested? Because if you're interested, I'm, you're going to totally gazump me in wages. And they said, yes, we are interested, but we need to get a couple out before we get these two in. 
So we capitalised on that and moved very, very quickly and managed <laughs> to get the two in ahead of them, which was quite pleasing. Oh, that's funny. So, so in terms of like strikers and signing them, does it just feel like that it's just it's just a really, really competitive market? So when fans say oh, we should sign this player because I don't know, um, I don't know, say Issa, so Issa's yep. brother who was uh, in yep. playing in League Two, is that just is it? Do you guys look at that and go, he scored loads of goals in League Two? Do you still try, or do you think? Oh, we're just not going to be able to compete. A bigger club are going to come in, or do you get wind, as you've said, that no, someone's coming in already? I'll, I'll always ask the question. I'll always ask the question of any players that we can. You know, at the end of the day, if it's a player like if you take uh, Abel's brother, you know, obviously playing at Bristol City, um, potentially not playing a lot in Bristol City, and that's what you're always. These guys are always, you know, Sam and Adam and Danny, and everybody are, are all looking at to see who's available, who might be available. Were we, in, were we interested in him in January? Then? Yeah, he's one we looked at. Yeah. Um, but the money was just out with completely. I mean, you think he's gone from Cheltenham to, to Bristol City and he's going to jump two leagues, but from what I would guess, he's, he's, his money is on. Uh, he was on at Cheltenham to go what he's on now, which I was told. You know, it's quite frightening to see that the money is getting bandied about, which is completely out with our, our wage structure. Um, even for a lo- you know for a loan, you know if you're then the problem with the championship, the gaps becoming bigger between the championship and League One, and even with the new TV deal kicking in, you know soon, that the gaps be getting going to get even bigger. So when you're then offering, you know to loan a player and put a contribution towards his, his salary, our contribution in comparison to that the money some of these players are on in the championship is is a drop in the ocean. And, you know it's not really worth it for them because no. at the end of the day, you know they need you know more than 50% of the wages and it would frighten you sometimes some of the some of the wage figures out you know you, you can always inquire and you can always find out everything's worth a phone call to find out but you know at the end of the day when, once you know what they're on and what you'd be willing to contribute it doesn't always work out no cool um in terms of um, in terms of what we can do so um obviously ffp so which means we can only spend 60% of our income on wages is that right something like something that, like yeah, that yeah. yeah how do you so how do you then do you budget for that is that basically you just know what your spare is what you've got left over yeah we're we're quite in a fortunate position this year um we'll be quite a fortunate position next year as well that you know we always see at the end of the day the more money we can generate the more money we can put into wages we're not here to make a profit you know, we're here to try and break even every year, but we've had extra monies in the last couple of years, which would have been really, really easy for the chairman, for example, and, and myself to go, do you know what, let's let's double the wage bill this year. But, you know, it doesn't help us long term and it's always about long term because the fans then remember why, how come the team of 2018-19 were so good, but the team in 2019-20 are like half as good. Well, that's because we spent all the little money on players that year, but we don't have that this year. So it's got to be a sustainable business, you know, for long term people, you know, fans will soon drift away if they've, you know, not get the, if suddenly they've got a, a star striker who's earning stupid money a week in comparison to what we can afford. And it's always trying to then, yeah, we want to get to the top, we want to get to the championship. Of course we do. Um, there's nobody more ambitious about getting to the championship than the chairman and myself and Sam as well. So it's we do want that, you know, that is our goal. Um, obviously, this season's been hard, um, but we're always continuing to work hard. And you know, we, we might not get it right every year, but we showed last year we can compete. Because yeah, that's one of the questions, isn't it? Is that um, people see we sold Toto and Nolan with like five seconds left of the transfer window? Mm. We want to get, we want to try and spend that money, and then fans are going, "Well, we had that money come in, then we want to spend it now." 
my understanding is we get that paid instalment, yeah. so we only get yeah. it all straight up anyway. But what's the kind of aim? So, so we have had obviously the the the, the money from Nolan and Toto, a couple of other players. We've had a couple of a cut runs. Is the plan then to kind of like just boost the budgets over the next few years yeah. rather than spending it? Is Basically, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just you know because we've got extra money coming in, we can boost it, but without going nuts about it. And as you say, most transfers that when money you sell, it tends to be through the the term of the contract, and even the sell ons we've had this year for. Uh, Ryan Woods and, and Connor Goldson as well is drip fed in, but that helps us long term as well because yeah. it means we can up the budget for the next three years without actually affecting the FFP, yeah. which is which is great for everybody because end of the day we can spend a bit more. Uh, maybe hopefully Sam isn't listening to this just now, but anyway, because <laughs> yeah, because that's one of the things that I think. Um, because I, I quite like the fact that I'm quite proud that I support a team that, um, you know, lives with Vince Means. Yeah. You know, I, it drives me insane when you see clubs like Berry and Swindon. They've been into administration so many times. Mm-hmm. It's just, for me, they should, well, m- my idea would be the, they go down to their local regional deliver- division. Yeah. So Berry would go into a greater Manchester division because it's just, like, well, they're uh, conning local businessmen well, and local like, that, charities. Like, I see sometimes, like, like St. John's Ambulance don't get paid, things the, like that. I find it really frustrating, like, you, like you've just said, it all, um, that clubs... You know, and without naming clubs, although you have maybe named a couple there, but you know the clubs are spending stupid money on players, but actually have massive, massive debt and not living within their means. You know, I think we, you know, we, I believe fully that we have to be a sustainable business. We need to try and get more people here. We need to try and improve, you know, what we've done in, in their hospitality, catering, um, conferences at the stadium has really, really improved, and our, our turnovers held up. Um, there's an analysis of the accounts which will come out shortly, but you know, which shows how much our, our turnover has increased since we moved to the stadium. Now, the stadium gives us extra opportunities to to increase our revenue streams. If we can increase our revenue streams, we can put more money into the football budget, which is what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to push as much as we can. But then, when we get extra revenues, like so the the sale of land to Lidl, you know, it's important that we don't just throw that in players because it's it's going to help us long term. <coughs> Excuse me, because that's a one off income and while you can put some of the money in for the, the player transfers in to try and boost the budget and try and help the manager at all time and try and support them it's got to be sustainable going forward as well so that you've not then in three years time when that money dries up you've not got you know, no money coming in yeah. and then suddenly your wage budget drops by you know a, a large percentage which isn't fair on the fans and it isn't fair on any of us it's got to be a sustainable business you know we've tried to we've tried to run it that way and we will continue to run it that way so one thing that gets <coughs> criticised to the, yourself and the club is that they don't want to go into the championship. What would your kind of answer to that? Be? Oh, f- nothing could be further from the truth. You know, when you I look back to the playoff final last year, you know, to go from we get one point four million, one point five million League One, League One monies this year, and this year I think the the championship was around about seven or eight million. You know, to get that those rewards and come in and go to the championship, you know, it's a no brainer for. Everybody to want to be in the championship, you, you'll spend a lot more money on players. But you know, if your wage bill increases to six or seven million pounds, you know you're dramatically going to spend more money in, in salaries. Great for the town, great for the club, and great for the fans to see different teams. It was it was heartbreaking for everybody, and you know there was um, nobody probably more upset than the chairman who supported the club since he was seven or eight. You know to see us so close to getting back to the championship, um, and. We, you know what, we would have still live within our means. You look at Burton, and Burton have managed to, managed to stay up for a while. But, you know, 
people have seen stuff before. So people say, "No, we couldn't afford to be in the championship." Well, of course, we could, because suddenly we get, get an income stream of yeah. seven million pound that we've never had for years. And this is where League One and League Two are getting left out because of the way the money's structured to come into the leagues. You know, they, there's Wolves who are probably going to end up with. Well, I think they're guaranteed about 120 million yeah. this year. You know, and you think, well, okay, depending on where they finish in the league, but even the bottom team in the league, I think, is guaranteed 100 yeah, to 120 million. million. And then you go into the championship, who are going to be eight to ten million. And that's for me. That's where my <coughs> silly my silly idea comes from because you got teams in the championship <coughs> and it's only seven million, but a hundred million is so much money to know, spend on players. And when, once you've got that as well, and your parachute, your parachute, parachute payment thereafter, you know, it's, that's where it's even hard to compete. You know, when you get teams like who have coming down. I mean, Sunderland are still getting a parachute payment from the Premier League. Wolves had it as well when we played them in the league a few exactly. years ago. Yeah, well. Sunderland's still getting the parachute payment. Wigan were still getting the parachute payment a couple of years ago when we played against them. You know, and then Sunderland are also getting a parachute payment from the EFL from the championship as well. And obviously the size of their club as well. But you know, at the end of the day it just they're getting thirty odd million I think parachute payments still from the Premier League Sunderland. Yeah. You think you know it's crazy. Crazy money. It becomes very, very difficult then to try and compete at that level. Uh, because they they're gonna spend they're gonna gazump you in every player that they can potentially if they want a player they're going to get them because yeah. they can afford it cool cool so um going back to like the transfers so you've you've kind of slimed up the player you've done the deal you've done the agent's deal who then has the final say on the on the kind of doing the deal is it yourself the chairman or the manager or um manager would always approve it because at the end of the day it's always going to be i'll keep in touch with sam throughout that process to see where you know the agent's pitching it at and where i'm pitching it at at the end of the day, Sam's got a budget, the manager's got a budget to pick what players and what he wants to spend in each position or, we, you know, each one he has. Um, and it's I'm very much a believer that the manager spends his budget. If I or the chairman start interfering with what players deserve what money, you know, then that, that makes it all wrong and gives Sam an excuse to say, well, do you know what, you stopped me signing X player or, or you wanted me to sign, you, you've spent too much. So Sam always has to approve what I've got to but at the end of the day that process could last three or four days yeah. trying to get to that to the numbers that you wanted to get to and I'll always have that conversation with Sam well are you happy to pay X amount are you happy with this before I send it to the agent so even throughout that whole process Sam's like co- copied in, yeah Sam's copied into another agent um, you know Sam's copied into all the emails so he's fully aware of everything okay. that's there because at the end of the day it's his budget and it's his budget to spend my job is to try and make sure I get the the best deal for the club, and try and play the Scottish card and don't want to spend any money. <laughs> so is that is it is that the same? Has that been the same with Mickey Mel and Paul Hurst and Sam? Um, Mickey was slightly different. Mickey just used to give you a list of players that he wanted, um, and basically just try and do the best deal. And then he was almost wouldn't necessarily look at that was my issue to look at the budget. Um, Paul again was very involved. Because Paul, Different. I was always be amazed. Paul has seemed to know so many players. Like he times four divisions by twenty four by twenty four, you get to a big number. Mm-hmm. The amount of players that some of these managers seem to know is just yeah. No, I think to be fair, they do. They, you'll be surprised that you know even Adam will put ten left backs as I used an example earlier to Sam, and Sam will know all these players because yeah. he'll have watched them or seen them. And with with, with the the technology that's out about nowadays. And Sam's very much like one who likes to go and see players playing. And that's where January's a difficult yeah. one too because you've got so many games in the December-January period or in the lead-up. So how do you then go and see a player that often yeah. and you end up watching it on Scout, which isn't always ideal because no. you've not seen it live. 
Um, Sam also likes to meet players too before or have a discussion with them prior to signing. He doesn't like signing anybody without having spoken to them to try and gauge their character, to make sure that they are the right types, that they want to come here for the right reasons. And I think that's really important yeah. too as part of the recruitment process. And Adam will do a bit of that as well. He'll look into the player's background and look at, you know, if they've got a social media site, see what they're saying on social media, try and get a gauge of their character because it's important to minimise the risk of what characters you're bringing in. Yeah. So, so yeah, cause that's something that Paul Hirsch used to say, he used to want to meet the player. So he's, uh, Sam and Paul quite similar yeah. in their approach, how they manage Very things? much so, yeah. Sam doesn't like not signing up, not meeting a player before or at least having a conversation on the phone. January is obviously a difficult yeah. one. But in the summer, he, you know, he's very much one who likes to sit down and actually look in the, the whites of their eyes, as they say, and actually yeah. get an idea of what they're really like and get an understanding of what they are, uh, what their character is, to make sure that then... When, if we are going to be signing and usually that's maybe the first step is actually him meeting the, the player to, to say yeah, I'm, I'm happy with his character as well as his performance etc and then we move on from there Cool, cool So in terms of January transfer week and, and the month in January and in the summer is that does it just go mad? Like absolutely mm-hmm. mental? It starts off usually get going a bit crazy around about the probably beginning of December Oh so it starts that early then? No it starts Three, that early before. Yeah yeah, it starts. It starts going because it's building up, yeah. and as soon as the August window shuts, you know there's then all the groundwork towards January, yeah. and obviously we've had a change of manager in that time as well. So it all hooks up. There's a lot of a lot of work going on behind the scenes to try and identify the right ones that we want. And do you know what? Some some you come, some you, some you might get, some you don't get. So you've always got to have other options there as well. But you know, I, I noticed that this year it probably probably about the second week of December it started really hotting up. And then by the time it gets to Christmas time, it's a nightmare. Cause was it similar? Because obviously last last um, last time. December we were in quite a good position. Yeah, a bit different to this December, just gone. Was it different in terms of like like number of calls and kind of? Um, was yeah, it? Uh, well, th- from this year to last year was totally different. I would say because obviously we we're in a good place, yeah. and Paul at the time was just trying to augment the squad with a bit more, uh, you know, for other players to try and make it better and deepen the squad as well. Um, this year, obviously, with the new manager, wanted to get some out um, and wanted his own players in, which is totally understandable. And that was quite similar to two the years before, ago, yeah. where it was like a big turnaround, trying to get players out that he didn't. That obviously, Paul identified as not being ones who were signed by Mickey that he wanted out and, yeah. and wanted his own people in. So I think this window has probably been similar to the one two years ago. Yeah. Um, Whereas last, you know, last year we were in a good position this time last year, um, so it's it's less. I'm saying it's less, but it's still. It's, I mean, this obviously to do things. As I say twenty two, ten in, and twelve out over thirty one days, and every single one of these takes days to negotiate and get to eventually signing, um, and you know, and within that as well, there'll be ones that we didn't get. Yeah. So there'll be ones you've t- you've spent a lot of time on, as I alluded to earlier, that suddenly something happens and it, it changes the position and then you it, you then have to go into the next one. So Did that it, happen a few times in this January, yeah. this January window? Yeah, <clears> there <throat> are two or three probably that for whatever reason one got pipped at the last minute, one got an injury um, and one, the selling club weren't just willing to um, sell at the right price. Um, so, you know, we, we moved on and that's what you do. You've always got various targets to look at. So that happens every window, if I'm honest. Uh, but January is a very, very tight month and it is absolutely intense. It gets to the stage, you know, my wife will say to me at dinner time, you need to put your phone down for 10 minutes. 
and it just goes into the night. It mm. just it's almost like from is that, is that all the way through all the way through January all the way through January I will spend probably I have no idea what much the problem is I've in my job as well because I've got the club to think about as well it's not just about the January window so I've got all my normal stuff but to be fair a lot of the staff here they'll kind of leave me to it in January because they know how much I've got on and it's but then I've still got to do my normal stuff as yeah. well so it's you've always got to try and you know, keep your head above water with that. And then a lot of it goes into the evening and you can still be on the phone at 10, 11 o'clock at night, still try to do various things. And I think as the window goes on, it intensifies as soon as you get to the last 10 days. Because to be fair, the first, okay, it was quiet. We signed Dave quite early and signed a couple and then it quietened slightly and then it was just in the last 10 days. I can't even remember how many we signed. I think we signed five in the last two days, didn't we? Yeah. So, um, it seems like about a month ago already, but um, no, it just becomes, and there, because there are so many phone conversations going on and so many emails back and forward, and then like every time something's going on, you know, I could potentially be speaking to a club about a loan as an example, you know, then I would be phoning Sam to say, right, this is where we're at with this, I'd then be phoning the chairman to say, right, this is where we're at with this, and you've got to, so it's like three phone calls for the one thing and then somebody will phone you back and then you've got to phone, update the two of them at the same time. So the chairman and, and the manager always kept in the loop of what we're doing, where we're at and whether it's likely to happen or not. So how many calls do you think you get on <coughs> like January transfer, the Oof. final day, say, or even just like the days before? Oh, I have no idea. Hundreds? Absolutely. Well, I, do you know that, that on your iPhone now it comes up with yeah. your screen time goes down? I think mine was down about... I can't remember some ridiculous percent <laughs> in the last week, but it's just, and to be honest with you, that's, it's very difficult for my wife, and she's got to be really patient. She knows it, which is why we always try and get away the first week in, in February, because I hardly see my wife, I hardly speak yeah. to her, and it's just like, your whole life just stops. My wife says to me, you have no idea what's going on round about you in the house, because you've <laughs> no idea what is going on. I could be talking to you about something, and you're not listening, you're, you're away on something else, else. you're away on the football, you're on the football. But to be fair, she understands that she just leaves me for the month of January and knows that so there's no keep, point talking to me. So so what I do, well, my job at work, I buy products, different biscuits and <clears> Easter eggs and all that kind of stuff for my for formalities that we don't make ourselves. Right. And sometimes it's hard to keep track of where you are. How do you keep track of all these different offers and stuff? Do you have a little notebook? Or yeah, what? it's funny because every time Sam was coming up, I was kept going back from my pad and saying, right, where are we with this? Because you do lose track. And I think, I'm not saying you lose track. You know no. the positions you're trying you to get. You want to know exactly where you are because you don't want to offer, you don't want to, you don't want to go back and <clears throat> offer less or yeah. offer more than you offered before. So it's almost like if you've got, for example, five positions that you're trying to identify and there could be five or six names at each position, but that list is constantly changing. So then you're scoring it out and then somebody else is suddenly might become becoming available and you know, I do I do write lists all the time. I always try and keep track of where I'm at. Um, in fact, my pad's still sitting in my desk the other day there because I was like, hey, right, you need to keep me, what am I doing here? To make sure, you know, keep, what's, make sure that doesn't uh, get into the wrong hands. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few scored out and there's a few ticks. <laughs> so certainly in the last week there were a few ticks. So that's when we got there in the end. We did, we did a lot. The difficulty sometimes in January, then you're bringing in a lot of players and it takes can sometimes take time to, to gel as well as, and get everybody and integrate everybody at the same time. But um, hopefully we'll be all right and hopefully the business we've done in January is we've brought hopefully more quality in and no offence to the guys that have moved out, but at the end of the day they need to be playing football and yeah. it's really important for players to be playing football whatever level, whether they're dropping down a level or two levels. Um, 
in the league. So Abo Issa, for example, it's good for him to go to Chelsea, Colchester and play um, because he couldn't get a lot of game time here. But obviously, we went, again, we wanted to sign him in a new contract. Yeah. Before he went out, we weren't letting him go out until he signed a new contract. So again, that was another one that was taking time to negotiate with his agent to try and make sure that... Um, we had that deal done before we were happy to put him out on loan at the time Once again once we get players in and he signed his new deal yeah. so again it's trying to look at long term he's just one of those one, that's the kind of one that always makes you laugh a little bit because as soon as he scores people start posting it online yeah he scored why haven't we got him but obviously he's, he's scoring in a lower level isn't he yeah no absolutely but we hope that that's the point in him going on loan we hope we want him to do well there and come back in the summer and go well do you know what he's got a new contract come back in the summer having had a number of league games, you know, you forget he he came from Wealdstone. No offence to Wealdstone, but it's a big jump up to come to League One uh, from that level. And he did well when he first came in, but he's been a bit fringe, bit of a fringe player. He's come in and now he's played in the Checker Trade games. But Sam really felt he can see something in Isa, and he wanted him to go out on loan and play regularly. And do you know what? He's doing well. He's scoring goals at League Two, which is great because it helps his confidence and his development. So when he comes back in the summer, and it's a bit like Greg coming here from Rangers, hopefully it helps his development going forward for the year. And it's the same with with Ice with Abel going to Colchester. Yeah. Greg just needs to start scoring in the league, not just the kids saving them for the cup. Uh, is that is that right? I've never. He known, scored. I don't know. Yeah, he scored quite a few in the covers, and he scored like that he screamer const- at Salford. Yeah, he can concentrate in the league now about all the cups. And, Okay, that I, I don't think the FA Cup run in some ways it's great. It's great for the fans. It's great for everybody connected to the club to get really put the club on the map. But I think you know where the league position has suffered slightly. If I think we've, I'm honest about it, you know I think we've and it's not ideal. Obviously, we put a good show on last week at Wolverhampton in the two games to to take them so far. You know, team sitting seventh in the Premiership, uh, but obviously now allows us the chance to concentrate in the, the final games and try and push up the table. Yeah, I was saying on the podcast on Sunday that. It's um, this team is almost like the team with Mickey Mellon. In my opinion was a really poor team, but this team you can see there's something in it, mm-hmm. and it's almost the FA Cup games. You know how well we played defensively, how well how switched on we were, and yeah, it's, just, it's there's very much this team is like just does well for half for halves. Yeah, um, on Saturday we the first half was brilliant. We looked really well balanced. Um, Williams looked really comfortable. Um, you know, Sean Wally was every had a really mm. good, and then the second half it all changed. It's a very complex game yeah. Saturday with the referee and everything else. But yes, I, th- I think that's a frustration. I spoke to Sam this afternoon at length about about the games of the last couple of days or last week, and I think that yeah, that's a frustration for Sam to make sure that they put in ninety minute performances. Um, but that's where it's really important that they've got all the background and I think tiredness plays its part as well to be honest with you with the players he's more or less played the same squad of yeah. you know, 14 players for example in the last number of games and there's a lot of games over Christmas and New Year and then you've got obviously get signings coming in and out and that's where it becomes difficult you know you can see the argument that sometimes they shut down for two weeks in January and actually have a break. They let us all concentrate on trying to get the players in uh, but obviously that's a, we've had so many games recently and I'm sure the FA Cup run from the league point of view has made our league position probably suffer. But as you say, I think we've got players there. A lot of people have said to me they feel that we've got better players this year than we had last year. Yet, what well, we're third bottom in the league as opposed yeah. to being finishing third, you know, third at the top end of the league. And that's amazing how that can how that can work out. But I think we've shown in the weeks, you know, even if you take the Stoke games and the 
um, the Wolves games, the two games, it shows that they can compete with teams at a far higher level. So, you know, we just want that consist. We all want that consistency for the run into the end of the season to try and climb the table. Yeah, and it is it's quite it is close down the bottom. It's it's frustratingly close. You get a couple of results, and we could be quite in a strong position. So. That's what we spoke about today. Actually, with Sam and I were talking about like you know he says the draws are, are not great. He said, listen, it's a point, but at the end of the day, you, you know, want to convert them to wins, and I think with three points and for a win, obviously in the old days it was two and one. It didn't make mm-hmm. so much of a difference, but now at three and one, if you say if you can put two or three wins together, you can soon climb out of where we are just now and get climb the table because it's such a tight league. Everybody's capable of beating each other in this league. Probably um, less so than last year. You look at, you know, um, you know Blackburn and that kind of thing. You know Wigan last year. You know, and ourselves, we were winning most of the games. But then you look at it this year, and everybody's beating each other. So it's yeah. so tight. Yeah, the difference is not that huge. Again, which is an even more frustrating. Yeah, because it's so <laughs> inconsistent. I know. I know. I think you know if. We, if you look at last year's team and you look at how well we performed and look how many points we got last season. If we did had the, you know, that those points this year, we would we would have probably have walked the league. You know. So how do you think that would have gone? If that would have been a, another challenge being then championship. You just Adam would have been looking for championships class yeah. players. Well, that that was the that was what he was doing um, last year because obviously we started the recruitment process for the summer. So he was looking at two scenarios. He was looking at a League One scenario and a championship scenario. Um, and that's when it becomes very difficult because you're really down to when you look at even even the playoff final. It doesn't really help you with your recruitment because you can't no. do anything because you don't know what league you're going to be in. So then even talking to players about you know extending contracts and talking to players potentially about targets for next season, but the playoffs for that point of view don't help with recruitment because you've you've actually lost three weeks and everybody else who've started doing the recruitment um, and and get the. He's you're trying to, you don't even know what you're going to be paying, and it obviously right. changes the whole parameters of things if you're going from, you know, eight million pound coming in as opposed to one point four. Cool. Okay. What's your kind of view on iFollow, and it's because it kind of came in. The, as a fan, it looked like it just the the EFL kind of chose that themselves, and I don't know whether that's true or not. Whether they kind of made a decision to, to kind of start showing games, and is there a threat to um, live attendance? I I don't think so. I don't think that'll ever come in. Having had a few discussions with various clubs, I think that there is a, a place for it at certain times. You know, I look at it and go, <clears throat> for example, we play in Plymouth away on a Tuesday night next month. Like realistically. We don't expect big numbers to go to that. So if people have got the facility to watch it, people will be working till five, six o'clock. There's no chance of getting to Plymouth. If there's an opportunity for them to to pay ten quid and watch the game online, then what's the harm in it? I get that. I don't think it's going to affect Plymouth's attendance. I don't think it affect the numbers going dramatically. But my issue is if it's like a, a more local game, does it affect it? And that you know, I would always try and encourage people to come to to watch games live. There's nothing like a live atmosphere and attendance um, to come to sports sport live because you can't watch it the same on the computer, same as you can't watch it the same on the yeah. TV as you can actually watch it. Um, I, I don't think, I think there is a, there is a place where I follow. Um, um, I certainly wouldn't want to see 3pms on a Saturday going I follow 
because um, I think people have got time to get to games on a Saturday, no matter where they are in the country. But I can understand the argument sometimes for a Tuesday night. Has that been debated then <coughs> in the EFL about doing the Saturday games? Um, it's been, or is it what <coughs> like a, uh, it's been. They tried to do a kind of pilot of it they to see, like a, breaks, a, yeah, they? try and talk about it. But I mean, the one of the EFL board members spoke to me to get my view on it, and I just said, I think we, you know, for me, three p.m. Saturdays are, are sacrament. We should never. We should never move from that, and I think I'm not a great. I'm okay with them doing the trial, but I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. I think if people can sit in their house in Shrewsbury and watch Shrewsbury against Rochdale, for example, on their computer screen for a tenner rather than come to the game, then it defeats the purpose. What we're trying to do, trying yeah. to encourage young people to come to games, trying to encourage people to come to football, come to live sport, then you know I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can understand certain times that we should how you do that you know to, in an ideal world you'd probably only want to do it for the away fans but yeah. you know it's very very difficult I can understand sometimes and on a Tuesday night I don't mind a couple over the course of the season but we can't lose for me you can't, I can't lose Saturday 3pm kickoffs. Okay brilliant cheers Brian thank you very much for your time no really problem appreciated. at all pleasure no problem with that. I'm always an open book as I always tell <laughs> you so anything you want to ask I'll always answer your questions cool brilliant cheers Brian okay, thanks, thanks very much cheers Thank <laughs> you.